Today's passage comes from the book of Luke. We're going to read two passages, uh, verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, and then we will read verses 57 through 66. Again, that is Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, and then 57 through 66. And if you are reading in the Blue Pew Bible, it is on page 855. And I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah in the vision of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And a whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angels answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand, before, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things, have, that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they, wonder, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And we will continue in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and, when they, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what, what, what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately, uh, and immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loose, and he spoke, blessing God. 
busting and in fear came in all their neighbors and all these things were talked about and through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid upon their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him this is the word of the Lord Let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is contained within it. We thank you for its power and its ability to transform and to change and to refresh and to remind. And we ask that your spirit would do the ministry of your word among us this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember experiencing a season of disappointment. A season of disappointment, a season of frustration, a season of angst. And this season of disappointment occurred in my third year in college. I felt disappointed because most people found an internship that summer while I was left taking summer classes. The friend that I helped in fluid dynamics received an internship offer from Boston Scientific. My best friend, who struggled through physics and calculus, received an internship from the Army Corps of Civil Engineers. And my flatmate, who played more StarCraft than studying, he received an internship from Johnson & Johnson. And the only letters I received were a polite rejection letter from the companies that I applied to. Johnson & Johnson, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, And it meant that summer, I had one option, summer school. And I wrestled with these feelings of disappointment. I found myself complaining to God, God, how come you let my friends, those who struggle in school, the slackers, receive these internship offers, and I'm the one who tutor and help these guys? I help at church, I invite students to our fellowship, I serve on our leadership team, I do follow-up with our guests to our fellowship, I mentor other students. What, God, are you doing? And doesn't he know that if I'm supposed to excel in my engineering career, that I need an internship? And so when I think about a season of disappointment in my life, that was one of them. Now, we will all face seasons of disappointment in our lives. I mean, you may have a plan for your life. Graduate from college, find a job, find a spouse. And then reality hits. You've graduated, you found your dream job, but no spouse. You go on dates, but it's oftentimes hard to find anyone who is boyfriend or girlfriend, much less spouse material. Disappointment. And as a gal, you may hope that the guy that you attend small group with will finally get a clue and ask you out. But then you discover he asked someone else out. Disappointment. And as a guy, you may gather up the courage to ask that gal out that you've been looking at, spending time with. And when you gather up that courage, you ask that question, would you go out on a date with me? And you receive the answer, aw, thanks for asking. Why don't we be friends instead? Disappointment. 
And you and your spouse may be wanting to start a family, but every pregnancy test results in a negative. And you wonder, what is going on? Why are we unable to conceive? Disappointment. You may study hard to be at the top of your class, but your grades just don't cut it. You gun for that promotion, but someone else receives it. You hope that maybe your lab results finally would say cancer-free. But the lab results say otherwise. Disappointment. We will all face seasons of disappointment, especially as the year concludes and comes to an end, that many of our hopes have not been realized, and we are still in that season of disappointment. So what should we do? What should we do when we experience seasons of disappointment? What should our response be when we go through this period of time where our expectations are unmet? What can we do when we feel dejected because things do not go according to our design? What do we do when we experience a season of disappointment? Now, to answer this question, we'll be turning to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. During this year's Advent series, we're going to be going through some significant events as well as prayers found in this very first chapter of this gospel. Now, the Advent season reminds us of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, but it also reminds us of our hope in his return. For just as Jesus Christ came to earth that very first time in an unexpected way, we also expect Jesus to one day return, although the time may be unknown. Now Luke records these events for his friend Theophilus and for us so that we may have hope, hope that is ultimately in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to focus on the birth announcement of the forerunner, the person who prepares the way for Jesus' coming, John. Now, in the story of John's birth announcement, we'll discover what do we do when we face disappointment. So if you're not there already, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Uh, thank you, Stan, for reading the passage earlier. We'll be in Luke chapter 1. Now, in this morning's text, uh, in verse 5 to 25, and then later 57 to 66, we're going to think about three ideas. We'll think about a caution, then we'll think about a spiritual truth, and then a response. What is a caution that we need to heed in a season of disappointment? What is a spiritual truth that we need to remember in that season of disappointment? And then what should our response be when God reveals the purpose of that season, of that season of disappointment? So we have a caution, a spiritual truth, as well as a response. So what is the caution that we need to listen to in a season of disappointment? What is a warning that we need to pay attention to when we feel discouraged? What do we need to keep in mind when we feel downcast for a period? It's this, that seasons of disappointment should not lead to bitterness toward God. That when we experience a season of unmet expectations, we should be wary of feeling apathetic toward God. It shouldn't lead to a coldness toward him. A season of disappointment should not turn you away from God. That seasons of disappointment should not lead to feelings of bitterness. And we'll see this caution heeded by two groups in Luke chapter 1. 
Because Luke begins his gospel with two groups experiencing a season of disappointment. We have one group, a nation, and then we have another group, a couple. And both nation and couple struggle with disappointment in their lives. So let's talk first about the nation, Israel. Israel experienced a season of disappointment because they lacked independence. After they returned from exile in Babylon under Persian rule, they still served a foreign power. They still served a foreign king. And now in present in the Gospel of Luke, they serve the Roman Emperor. Rome had set up a representative to rule on Rome's behalf. Look with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In this very first half of the verse, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Luke reminds Theophilus and us that the setting of this gospel, it begins when Herod ruled over Israel. Herod was an Edomian. He came from the land of Edom. And through political manipulation and influence, he received from Rome the title, king of Judea. And while he helped rebuild the temple, Israel had no love for this ruler. He collected high taxes from Jews to build various projects. He squashed Jewish movements to reestablish their independence. Herod was not the king Israel wanted. Israel wanted independence as a nation with a king from the line of David. So that's one group season of disappointment. Let's turn our attention to the second group, the couple. And this couple is Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced a season of disappointment because they couldn't conceive a child. Zechariah and Elizabeth both wanted a child, but they had none. As months and years passed, their hope for a child faded. Look with me at verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Luke comments that Elizabeth's womb couldn't produce a child. And not only that, their age would have also prevented them from having a child. Now, one would think Israel, Zechariah, and Elizabeth would have given up on God. Israel might have said, God, we've had enough. We just had enough. And Zechariah and Elizabeth may have grown bitter toward God because he failed to open Elizabeth's womb. We would expect perhaps maybe this adversarial response toward God, but that's not what happened. That despite the season of disappointment that Israel, Zechariah, and Elizabeth faced, they didn't develop a bitterness toward God. I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to follow God faithfully. Uh, look with me. At verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They, they continued to follow his commands. They continued to worship at the appropriate times. They brought sacrifices to express repentance from sin and dedication to God. And if you asked anyone who knew Zechariah and Elizabeth, what is one word? that you would use to describe that couple. And they would say, righteous. Righteous meaning that they did everything that God expected of them. Now, let's turn our attention to the 
other group. Let's, let's think about Israel. Now, one, again, would have expected Israel to abandon hope in God. I mean, for 400 years from the prophet Malachi to the present in the Gospel of Luke, God had no new revelation to the nation. I mean, to help you think about how long 400 years is, think about this. Our nation, the United States, has only existed for 245 years. That would mean I would have to wait until my grandchildren, before the grandchildren, to actually receive perhaps a revelation from God. And Israel, again, had always remained under the control of foreign powers, Persian, Greeks, Romans. But they never actually experienced what they were hoping for when they returned from exile, an independent nation. But Israel continued to pray. They continued to ask God for help. They continued to gather as a nation twice a day, morning and evening, to pray to God. And the priest, as a representative of the nation, would enter into the inner part of the temple to offer up incense to represent the prayers of the people. And we see in Luke chapter 1 that the division of Abijah had the responsibility of offering up prayer that day. Then, through the method of casting lots, they chose Zechariah. And so Luke describes Israel praying in verses 8 through 10. Hear this. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Israel, Zechariah, Elizabeth never displayed any bitterness in the season of disappointment. Instead, they continued to trust in God, even though they experienced a difficult time, a difficult period, nationally and also personally. So what does that mean for us? It means that we need to learn to guard against bitterness when we experience a season of disappointment, when we experience a season of frustration, that we need to watch ourselves. We need to be aware of any type of animosity in our hearts and in our minds toward God, especially when we feel disappointed. Now, why would we feel bitterness toward God? Why would we feel adversarial towards him? I mean, what leads us to feel frustration? Well, bitterness develops oftentimes because we believe we know what's best. We believe that with our limited understanding of a situation that we know what outcome is best for us. And we feel bitter because God doesn't give us what we want. And when we feel bitter, there's this underlying belief that if I was God, I would do things quite differently. And because God is not submitting to my will, then we're on bad terms. And be careful, because when you find yourself feeling this way, it will lead to frustration, it will lead to bitterness, it will lead to animosity. So what do we need to do, what should you do to guard against such bitterness? Ultimately, from the text, it's prayer. That Israel, Zechariah, and Elizabeth, though they felt disappointed, 
they prayed, that they laid out perhaps their frustrations before God and let him know that you feel anxious that because as you see other people getting married, let him know that you're afraid of being lonely, but also pray for his help to trust in his plans. You may be feeling frustration because your dreams of being a parent isn't realized. Well, share that frustration with the Lord and pray for help to trust God even during that season of disappointment. So guard against bitterness is seasons of frustration and of disappointment by laying out your frustrations before the Lord through prayer. Now, we talked about the caution that seasons of disappointment should not lead to feelings of bitterness. But let's move on to the next idea, the spiritual truth. What is the spiritual truth that we need to know in a season of disappointment? And the spiritual truth is this, that God works in seasons of disappointment even when we don't believe it. That God continues to carry out his plans when we struggle with those unmet expectations. He doesn't just stand back and watch us suffer, but he's doing something that we can't possibly see. That God is working in that season of disappointment even when we don't believe it. Now we see God working in this time of Israel's history and also in Zechariah's life. He executes a plan for both the nation and the couple. And Luke shows us that God works by carrying out his plan in this season of disappointment. So let's look at what God is doing in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. Because we see that God plans to give both of them a son. Look with me at verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." Now, as you're hearing this story, if you have any familiarization with the Old Testament, you may be thinking, oh, this story sounds kind of familiar. I mean, there's a couple who's unable to conceive. Well, Abraham and Sarah couldn't conceive. Manoah in the book of Judges and his wife couldn't conceive. And then you have Elkanah and Hannah who couldn't conceive. Yet all these couples gave birth to children of significance. You have Abraham and Sarah who give birth to Isaac, the child of promise. You have Manoah and his wife, who eventually give birth to Samson, who delivers Israel from the Philistines. And then you have Elkanah and Hannah, who would give birth to a son, Samuel, who would prepare Israel for its first kings, Saul and David. Now, it seems as though Luke is setting up this idea that the child of Zechariah and Elizabeth 
will also be a child of significance. As I've already read, that God plans to prepare Israel for its Savior through John. That John would be set apart as depicted by his abstinence from alcohol. And he would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And John's ministry will also reflect that of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And it says so in verse 16, that he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, John won't be calling down fire from the sky. He may not perform, he won't perform miracles, but he will preach the same message as Elijah, the message of repentance, that John will call on Israel to repent from their sin to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Now, when Israel heard the word Lord, they were thinking the Davidic king, the Messiah who would save them from foreign rule. But for us, as believers, we know that the Lord is not just the Messiah that will save Israel from foreign rule, but he's more than that, that he is the one who will save us from the rule of sin. Now, one would think that Zechariah, after hearing this announcement, would be overjoyed. He's going to be a dad, and his son will prepare Israel for deliverance from foreign powers. But we don't always believe in what God is doing. And when we don't believe in God's plan, he sometimes takes away our ability to testify to what he is doing until that plan is accomplished. God doesn't want us to be a hypocrite. He won't have us proclaim a message that we don't believe in. Instead, he'll discipline us in such a way that we just watch him carry out this plan without us. And he'll demonstrate that he doesn't need us to carry out his will. So let's see how this plays out in Zechariah's life. Because Zechariah doesn't believe that God is able to help them conceive because of their old age. Zechariah, perhaps hearing this announcement, thinks, doesn't God know how old Elizabeth is? Doesn't God know how old I am? God's plan makes no sense. How could we possibly ever have a child? So let's look at how Luke records Zechariah's response in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, for a priest, it seems like he doesn't know his Old Testament very well. One would think he would remember how God provided Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age. But don't we think that way sometimes, too? I mean, Jesus may have been single and lived a fulfilled life, but there's no way for me to live a fulfilled life as a single person. God may have converted Paul, but I give up any type of hope that my Muslim classmate could ever accept my invitation to come to church. Oftentimes we doubt that God could even use seasons of frustration or disappointment for his glory. Now, when we disbelieve in God's plan, he has us take a step back and watch him work. And in Zechariah's case, Gabriel takes away Zechariah's ability to witness until God's plan is accomplished. Look with me at verse 19. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring 
to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. For nine months, Zechariah could not speak. He lost his speech. All he could do was watch God carry out his plan, watch God carry out his work. He'll see Elizabeth's baby bump continue to grow, and all he could do is remain silent. And it reminds him he should have believed in the goodness of God's plan for him and also for the nation. Zechariah couldn't tell Elizabeth or his neighbors through speech what the child would do. He was unable to speak. So if God is truly working in our season of disappointment, then we have to believe in, his God, in his, the goodness of his plan. That we have to believe that his plan will ultimately work out for our benefit. That we believe in God and his work, even in a season of frustration, of unmet expectations, and of disappointment. And if we truly believe that God is good, God is gracious, God is faithful and steadfast in love, then we have to believe that God would never put us in a season of disappointment for no purpose. For God could use even these low moments of our lives to conform us into the character of his son. And these seasons of disappointment require us to depend more on God's plans rather than on our plans. And we need to lean on him more rather than lean on him less. And if we don't believe in the goodness of God's plan for our lives, especially during those difficult times, then oftentimes we don't know what to say. We won't be able to pray. Because why would we go to God if we don't believe that he's sovereign and able to control even the situations of my circumstance and in my season of disappointment? What could God possibly do to change my situation? And you may wonder, how can I pray to trust God if I don't believe that he cares for me? And oftentimes when we don't believe in God's faithfulness, in God's goodness, we don't find ourselves praying. We don't find ourselves speaking to him. Yet even when we don't pray to him, God in his grace will continue to use that season to conform us into the image of his son and that he will reveal to us that he still has a plan, that God is still in control. So we've talked about caution. We've talked about spiritual truth. So let's talk about this last idea, response. What is our response when God reveals the purpose of that season of disappointment? How do we respond when God reveals his work to us? Well, we thank God when he reveals his work to us. We express gratitude Thanksgiving for how God used that season of disappointment to carry out his will. And that we are thankful because God sovereignly ordained for us to go through that difficult season, ultimately for our growth and for his glory. And that we thank God 
when we discover what God was doing. Now, Luke records both Zechariah and Elizabeth thanking God when they see God's work. When Elizabeth realizes that she's pregnant, Elizabeth thanks God for her conception. We see this in verse 24 to 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That God has always been watching her, caring for her. He never shifted his eyes. And now God took away her reproach, took away her barrenness by providing a child. And later we see Zechariah also responding to God's work. That after he affirms Elizabeth's decision to name their son John, Zechariah thanks God when God accomplishes his work. We see this later in verse 63. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John, and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue loose, and he spoke, Blessing God. Once Zechariah regains his ability to speak, he praises God for the provision of a son. And he also praises later, through his prophecy, how God will work through this son to bring deliverance to Israel. Now, Israel doesn't quite give thanks, but Israel does give credit to God for this miraculous work of providing Zechariah and Elizabeth a son. They wonder, what is God doing through this child? Look at verse 65. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So what should our response be when we discover what God is doing in our season of disappointment? That we thank God. We thank God because it recognizes ultimately God is sovereign over all things, that nothing is beyond his control. And it gives glory and honor to God because we recognize finally the goodness of his plan. So let me give you one example of how this might work. So think about maybe during a season of singleness, you feel frustrated with people that you find on dating apps or people that you meet. So you decide to forego the dating. You decide to fast for a season of time. And instead, you decide to attend prayer meetings more regularly instead. That the time that you would invest in meeting people, you decide to invest in praying with community. And you attend the prayer meeting, and you meet some of the older saints of our church, and you listen to them pray. You listen to their fervor. You listen to the content of their prayer. And their prayer life encourages you to pray more. And you share with your small group how encouraged you've been by attending prayer meeting. And then it leads to others in your small group to check out what is going on as a church prays together. Yes, you may still be single. But you thank God for how God uses this, this season of disappointment and frustration to encourage others to pray within the church. Now, we will all again experience seasons of disappointment. And when we find ourselves in this situation, we need to remember the caution that disappointment should not lead to bitterness. And we need to believe in the spiritual truth that God works in a season of disappointment even when we don't believe it. And when we see the purpose for the season of disappointment, we thank God when he reveals his work. 
Now, remember my season of disappointment when all my other friends received an offer letter to an internship while I spent my summer taking classes in college? Well, one day I expressed my disappointment, my angst, my frustration with God to my pastor. And as he listened to me pour out my frustration, my feelings of being upset, he waited for me to pause. And in that pause, he asked me a question that will alter my life, my vocational direction. And he asked me, have you ever considered that God might be calling you into full-time vocational ministry? And that conversation changed the trajectory of my life. And so when I look back at that season in my life, even though it was disappointing, I thank God for it. Because in that season, God turned my vocational path from engineering to pastoral ministry. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we recognize that ultimately you are sovereign over all things and that you're able to use even the times where we feel frustrated and upset ultimately for our benefit. Help us in those times to continue to trust in you and to believe in you and that you would help us to have eyes to see the work that you're doing in our lives, especially when we come out of that difficult season. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.